the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, which means it's time for a pun further review. It is a chance for us to address some of the late night action that we didn't get to in our instant reaction show. It's a chance for us to even comb back over some of those games that we might have mentioned, some of the scores we might have referenced as we've gotten a chance to learn more from the coaches, from the players, and also go back with a few uh, reviews of the action ourselves before we get out of here. We will also take a a quick look at the uh, new polls, of course, which came out on Sunday. New college football playoff rankings will be out on Tuesday, adjusting to the action that was where we do have, uh, expect at least, some significant shakeup within the top 10. Where we know we will have some shakeup is in the top five, uh, particularly in the wake of Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker tearing his ACL during Saturday's 63-38 to loss to South Carolina. Now, the injury at the time, you know, we knew was pretty bad, and we talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but we did not know the severity. And Hooker's injury specifically, I do not think, will impact the Vols in the immediacy, at least in terms of the ranking right now. It might be for splitting hairs, but this is still a team with two losses. This is still a team that I think is going to be in that top 12 kind of status will be in consideration for a New Year's Six bowl game. But Tennessee still has one game left in the regular season schedule. It is against a Vanderbilt team that is riding high after wins against both Kentucky and Florida. So the job is not done yet. There is devastation for Hooker, who now must recover from this injury and turn his eyes towards an NFL career. There is the issue at hand of what's next for Tennessee Um, What do we make now that we know the news that Hooker, uh, 24 years old, and we joked about how long he's been playing in this sport. He has put together a long college career. What is next for Hooker? What is next for the Vols in the wake of Sunday's news? I mean, I think it puts... it puts next week's game for sure at a greater, you know, it's it's a more difficult game to win now because Joe Milton has an absolute rocket for an arm. But as we've seen many times, you don't always know where that rocket's going to go. And you mentioned Vandy's one, two straight. Vandy's five and six. Vandy isn't went away from getting to a bowl game. So 
if Tennessee is kind of down on itself because of the injury and Vandy's fired up, they could, you know, possibly lose that game. But I think larger picture, they're obviously the loss knocked them out of the college football playoff, but this was still a team that was in the hunt for New Year's Six Bowl. Even if they win next week at Vandy without Hendon Hooker, how appealing do they become to a New Year's Six Bowl? Does it cost them a spot in one of those games? I don't know if it's going to cost them a spot. I've been doing a lot of digging on the Orange Bowl potentially here. Um, so, and we'll get to this in, in, in Pole Assassin. Uh, but assuming that Georgia beats LSU in the SEC title game, Georgia will go to the playoff. The SEC will be a, a one bid league for the playoff. Uh, I think the Sugar Bowl would take either Alabama or LSU, right? And my suspicion here is that the Sugar Bowl would like to have LSU in a year in which LSU massively outperformed expectations, which could lead Alabama to go to the Orange Bowl against if FSU wins out and if Clemson makes the playoff, Florida State. If not, then probably against North Carolina, right? Or, or excuse me, against Clemson because the, the ACC champ has to go unless they make the playoff. So I think it will impact uh, some of their potential to go to New Year Six. But I mean, do you think they're going to go over Bama or uh, or LSU? And like, what about the opt outs for those guys too? Like Tennessee might still be more entertaining to watch than, than some of these opt out rosters. I'll say this: last year, remember Ohio State bunch of opt outs. That game was still really compelling. The Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. the, I, that was a great game. So I, I almost look at it like you can't you can't hold it against a team if they have opt outs or injuries. If they deserve to go, you can't penalize an entire team. Tennessee had a pass to the playoff. They had a ticket to the playoff, and they flushed it down the toilet in Columbia. And that's the harsh reality of it. Um, win, and they were in. And then from this perspective of Hendon Hooker, I mean, I was heartbroken for him because especially when it happens, like, you know, you've done all this work. You're on the cusp, and when it happened to the game, it probably wouldn't have impacted the outcome. They might have made it closer, but I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the game. But for him not to be able to enjoy – just finishing the season with his boys, going to the bowl game, you know, playing in his, you know, potentially last game with the Vols. That to me is like the heartbreaking aspect of this. And you can talk about all you want about the money. And sometimes I think we put such an emphasis on, well, thankfully he was able to get NIL money. And that's true and that's good. But it's still, it's still a devastating injury that is going to take a year to recover from. And that's, that's a long, hard road. And, I was very curious to see what his draft status was going to be because I like a thousand times better what I've seen from him put on tape than what I've seen from Will Levis. Now, Will Levis might look better and there might be a better ceiling for him, but I think the floor was pretty solid with Hendon Hooker. And now that unknown status of when you're able to come back, how much are the offseason workouts, rookie camps can you compete in? I think that unfortunately is going to hurt his draft stock. So yep. now, now it kind of sees what happens to him here. Uh, it's just going to be a much longer road for him now. No, and that's really the killer for him because there's already, like, from a scouting perspective, we all know why they love Will Levis because he's big, he's strong, he has a huge arm. For Hendon Hooker, from a scouting perspective, from the physical aspects, there's a lot of stuff about him that isn't quite like, you know, first, second round material. And then you see him playing in Tennessee's offense, and it's like, well, it's an offense that we have seen plenty of guys put up numbers like this for years. And so scouts would have questions about him, but those questions are typically answered in the pre-draft process in workouts with teams and all that kind of stuff. And now that he's dealing with the ACL, 
he's not going to be able to do any of that. Like maybe he'll be able to throw a little bit, but he's not going to be able to go through all those drills and it's going to impact his draft stock. So I think, yeah, I think he's the biggest loser in this by far. Does he still get drafted? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Zach Wilson was like the number two pick in the NFL draft. I think Hendon Hooker will get taken. Zach Wilson, New York Jets struggles. Zach Wilson, New York Jets struggles, takeaways, hot takes. Yes, you're welcome. Zach Wilson. <laughs> um, because, Tom, that was one thing. You're, you Have you started the mock draft cycle yet? No. no oh, okay. No. I mean, I'm always doing it in my head, but I haven't. Yeah. I, I am getting – it's getting to me really, really annoying to see some of the names that are – like, and I hope and pray – that it's one of those timed tweets things because some of them work for our company and guys that I like. But when you st- and it happens on ESPN too with their guys, they're not adjusting what I think is going to happen. And I think you're going to see a drop when coaches actually and scouts go look at the film and stop listening to the Manning brothers from the Manning Passing Academy. Like I get it, you look great in shorts and a t-shirt, but the film does not meet the expectations and what should be happening. Anthony Richardson is another one. Like I, I think Anthony Richardson should 100% go back to Florida. I think, and like, I see his name still cropping up there as a top three pick. I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Strong disagree. Anthony. If they're going to pay him like a top five pick, Anthony yeah. Richardson should go because yeah, he is not justified that back. at all. And playing well, more, he runs I, exactly, the risk of people finding out he's not a top five pick. Well, see, that's why I don't think he should go. Cause I think he might be, and none of them are going to be Malik Willis. But Malik Willis was rumored to be the eighth overall pick, and he dropped to the third round. I think that's the thing that bothers me a lot about this. People think it's personal against Will Levis or against Anthony Richardson. It's not that. I feel bad for them because they're starting to believe the hype of, oh, I'm going to be a top 10 pick, and then they might make a decision based off of that, and I think that decision is going to be a mistake. As somebody who was projected to be Mel Kuyper's number one overall draft pick in 1992. Me? Oh, no, you met you. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my senior in high school. So, like, wow. so you, do you want to know where I was out. in 1992? <laughs> <laughs> so Kuiper had already penciled in Danny Cannell as the number one overall pick when you were – Four years uh, ahead of time. When you Four were trying to ahead. decide between Florida and Florida State. <laughs> yes. Who, was he on TV in 1992? Like, who was buying I don't even think who was so. Buying it was, it? My like, dad magazine? still has it. It's like a pamphlet. You know, it's like a hmm. booklet that he would so put like out, the Mel Kuiper Tom at the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they all had the newsletter, you know, yeah. booklets and stuff. Um, as it stands, she was right. Anna. Jerry Palm, you were in the second round, right? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah, I thought I should have been second. That's what I was told by everybody I talked to. Mm. Again, do you know why I'm bitter? It's not. I'm not mad at the players. I'm mad at the evaluation process because it gets your hopes up, and then you just get oh, it's you got that rat poison. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. For Tennessee's case, as it stands right now in the recent updated bowl projections at CBSSports.com, Tennessee is slated, according to Jerry Palm, to be in the Cotton Bowl against Cincinnati. Cincinnati reaching the Cotton Bowl as his projected highest-ranked group of five champion, uh, the AAC. Cincinnati, by the way, still needs to book a spot in the AAC title game. UCF already there, though UCF just lost to Navy over the weekend. Cincinnati two-lane winner will be in the AAC title game. Palm is projecting the Cotton Bowl will have that G5 team and that Tennessee is the other at large. That would mean that Tennessee, as it stands right now, is basically the last team in to the new year six. So currently, according to Jerry Palm in the bowl projections, Tennessee still headed to the new year six, headed to the cotton bowl to play 
the highest ranked group of five champion. But I mean, you lose that Vandy, that's almost certainly done. Yeah, and, and definitely changes the math uh, entirely. For the rest of those curious right now, uh, he's got Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, and USC in as his projected co- final college football playoff. His Rose Bowl matchup, Michigan against Oregon, where Oregon gets in after being a Pac-12 runner-up or the next best team. Michigan gets the Big Ten selection to the Rose Bowl. LSU against Kansas State. Bud, you mentioned the Sugar Bowl that would be Kansas State getting in from the Big 12. That is an SEC Big 12 matchup when the Sugar Bowl is not part of the college football playoff. LSU getting the nod and Alabama in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. He is projecting that Clemson misses the college football playoff and that we get Nick Saban against Dabo Sweeney with the, which is a, hey, listen, I don't care who opts out. I'll take it. That would be super fun. Uh, that I'd game, take it even more if it was a playoff game, Tom. Oh, we're going to start this time already. No, no, don't start it because it'll take over the next 46 minutes. Coming off off an amazing weekend with the highest stakes possible where teams nearly lost their playoff bids and everybody wants to argue for more games so that those games on Saturday wouldn't have meant crap. Oh, I strong disagree. Really? Because what would happen if TCU had lost to Baylor? It'd still be in the playoff. What would happen if Michigan had lost to Illinois? It would still be in the playoff. Ohio State, still in the playoff. Georgia, still in the playoff. Tennessee, still be in the playoff right now. So I disagree. Oh, no, no, no. No, (laughs) no. Don't you put that evil on me. It would be in the top 12 when the rankings come out tomorrow. No, no, but I'm saying that it's like one of my core arguments here is that the games always mean a lot because the games mean a lot to the fans because they spend 12 months caring about 12 games a year. So I disagree with the fact that the playoffs is going to help November for some reason. It's going to help line media rights partners pockets. It's going to help the cover three podcast. Sure. But those are selfish arguments made by selfish people. And I think that the argument that the games all of a sudden don't mean anything to fans. That's nonsense. Losing to Baylor would have been heartbreaking because it's a freaking rivalry. So, like, whether it's a 12-team playoff, a BCS, a 14-team playoff, or whatever, that game has significance. That's what I'm a. That's what I'm the most invested in uh, in terms of this whole nonsense. One million percent. I just mean from the standpoint of a national title. Yeah. Um, all right. Upon further review, was basically built for an outcome like Oregon taking down Utah. Big bad bow fighting off multiple injuries the the flu also we got the like head a whole, fake the, the head whole, fake with the player planting it mm-hmm. so um oregon improves to nine and two they get up off the mat against washington they get a 20 to 17 hard fought win against the utes at home uh they are still in the mix they are an oregon state win away from being able to play for the Pac-12 championship against USC. What did we make of Nix's uh, performance in this game? Utah's, not Utah's defense, Oregon's defense really sealing this thing late against Utah. Um, What what, what do we make of one of the most significant results and what was already a very significant weekend in college football? I mean... No, you go. Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say, for me, like, Nix was great considering. Like, he was clearly not 100%. But for me, like, the MVP of this game was Kenny Dillingham. He was able to build. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just the fact that he was able to build an entirely new game plan around the fact that his mobile quarterback, who had been a big part of the run game all season long, suddenly couldn't run. 
and he's facing a Utah team that's much better against the pass than it is against the run, but he was still able to put together the game plan to help them win that game. Yeah, they only scored 20 points, but they were, you know, they Knicks couldn't run. They became easier to defend. Whittington and Irving couldn't find much room because of it, and Knicks was still able to pull through and get, you know, get him enough points to win the game. I would give my MVP of the game, I think, to Oregon's defense. Right, like, This is an Oregon defense that their secondary has been pretty trash all year, and the teams it could throw exploited it. And you know, Cam Rising this year has not been quite as good, uh, obviously. And, and when, when they lost the, the one, uh, the one you know, good pass catcher weapon they had earlier in the year, that, that was a significant thing. Guys, they, they had like zero explosive plays in this game from a passing standpoint. It was their longest pass was 18 yards, right? That the, the way you beat Oregon is not necessarily to run on them. You have to throw it. And generally throwing on it is throwing on Oregon is, is pretty easy. And Utah was not able to do so. I will give a lot of credit to Oregon's offense for still finding ways to run the ball uh, without the the threat of Bo Nix's legs, because that, that has been a part, not necessarily like that he gets all their yards, but because you have to account for it as a defense. And uh, yeah, I, it was... If you told me to have like limited Bo Nix, I would have been kind of skeptical that Oregon would win this. But mm-hmm. I mean, Utah's passing offense was horrendous. I mean, 21 of 38 for 170, three picks by Rising. It's one of the worst quarterback games I've seen played in like a, like a major stage in quite a while, especially against like when you consider how trash Oregon's pass defense is. I mean, Rising was like the worst player on the field. Yeah, like the one thing that stood out to me too with Utah is like, I, I know Britton Covey's not an NFL player. But they need somebody on the outside in that offense at receiver. Because, like, their tight ends are always great. Like, I don't know, Andy Ludwig's offenses always find ways to get the tight end open no matter what. But they need options on the exterior that they just don't have. Two times in the final seven minutes of this game, Utah was going for it on fourth down. Cam Rising had a receiver and missed him. One time I remember it was straight up into his knees. Like, it was just like a a short-armed it, like, yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't would make a good bounce pass in basketball. <laughs> but just I, those are those are tough. It was it was almost tough to watch, right? Because you're like, geez, this the whole the last seven minutes of the game was kind of drunk. I mean, I remember Bo Nix threw the pick, and I'm like, oh no, there's a Bo Nix moment. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. And then I said, oh no, Bo, and I had like some Oregon fans like saying, or no, Utah fans were like, oh, you're rooting for Oregon. I'm like, no. And then I had an oh no, Cam, like he did the same exact thing, like gave it right back to him. Cam Rising's a hard one to figure out because. I would say he hasn't played great in their biggest moments. Florida, he didn't play great. UCLA, he didn't play great. This game, he played awful. And then the USC win, we saw USC's defense is not exactly a stronghold, but the bigger plays toward the end when he said, I'm going to put it in Cam Rising's hands, he ran those in, right? The two, you know, so I think he's, I think he's a good quarterback, but I think we're seeing why he's not a great quarterback because in the bigger moments, he wasn't able to shine. He's also still hurt. I will say, and I think his the lack of his ability to run hurts him somewhat. But from a throwing perspective, that was, I mean, that was terrible. Ironically, you know who Cam Rising kind of is, Auburn Bo Nix. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. It might be. Pat, wait, elaborate. He's when he's on, he's awesome. He can tear do oh. tear you apart, have a great game. But sometimes when the competition gets a little stiffer, he doesn't rise to the occasion. So. Uh, the game, Oregon at Oregon State in Corvallis on Saturday in the afternoon. The Ducks in their current state. What is your level of confidence? Because as we go into the weekend, you know, Oregon now has the win against Utah, which is 6-2, and two, but it has a loss to Washington, which is 6-2. and two. 
If Oregon gets caught in a tie with Washington at seven and two, given a Ducks loss to Oregon State, Washington would be able to work its way into the Pac-12 title game to play USC. What is the level of confidence that this Ducks team, as it is currently constructed, health and otherwise, is going to be able to get in and out of Corvallis against Oregon State with the win? On a scale of one to ten, three and a half, the same amount oh. of points that they're favored. I don't. I, the way the season like has gone for everybody, I I don't think it's a lock by any means. If we're assuming that Bo Nix's ankle injury, and I mean, they haven't said that's what it is, but I think if you watch it, you can kind of guess that's what it is. If we're assuming that uh, it's it's something that can heal with time, uh, then you got to think he's a little bit better this week. Matchup-wise, this is kind of similar to what we talked about with with Utah, right? Good running team, iffy passing team. Uh, Oregon State's pass defense is much better than its run defense is. I think that is not really the combination you want to have when you play Oregon. Oregon, again, much better run D than pass D. Like, their pass D is atrocious. Their, their run D is not that bad. Uh, I'll, I'll put like a, I don't know, six and a half, seven on it. Out of ten, like – that's a confidence scale out of 10. So you think Oregon yeah. get it done, matchup reasons. Also, Oregon State's got some guys out that I just don't know if they're going to come back, but they seem to, like they didn't matter this weekend, but they seem to matter in a big time game. Yeah, it, I'm in the same. It's It all depends on Bo Nix. If his ankle's healthier, if he's getting better, I think Oregon should win this game. I'd probably put it at an eight. If he's the same guy we saw on Saturday night, I'd put it closer to a five. And you know, you don't have time to get healthy. Like it's a week is not enough. This is where you kind of wish you had the bye week, um, you know, before a rivalry game. But a lot of teams now not getting that opportunity anymore. Also, are we, if you're not allowed to call it Civil War, can we at least get the battle puss going? I are, are they not calling it the Civil War? Can we call anymore? it what we want to call it on the show? Yes. On this show, or yeah. we can say they don't call it the Civil and Civil War anymore. The civil. Uh, the, the I just honor- don't know if it's like an outdoor cocktail party kind of situation or what it is, where you're just not supposed to say it anymore. I, I have no idea. I have the, no idea why. You're gonna get a I, sternly worded letter. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that on the drive back from daycare today. I was like, but the Civil War, there's civil wars all over the place. I think it's awfully myopic for us to think that there was only one civil war. Yeah, there's yeah. tons of civil wars throughout history on all kinds of countries. And if a civil war happens to be a battle between Oregon and Oregon State, kind of feels like it should be the civil war. Thoughts with Chip driving back from daycare on a Monday morning. Um, all right. Another uh, way thing that we like to do from a pun for the review is to go back over, sometimes rewatch, sometimes do a deeper dive into a game that we may have already discussed. And Tom, you, you mentioned that there was something that really stood out to you from Ohio State's defense in the win over the weekend um, against Maryland. So what what you note uh, from the Buckeyes? It's rewatching it more than anything. What stood out to me is like if you go, obviously Maryland overall had a good performance. They lost, you know, they put up 30. Not many people are putting up 30 on Ohio State. But what stood out is like their offensive line actually did a good job blocking Ohio State. The sacks that the Buckeyes got were generally more, on, in my opinion, on Talia than they were on the offensive line. But also, it was a choppy performance in that Maryland was – it was a whole lot of nothing, 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 bang, explosive play. And just going back to watching Ohio State 
play Penn State when they kind of started running, you know, the the Baylor offense, the Bryles offense, and started spreading them out, and they were able to move the ball through the air in that way, and seeing what Maryland, which has you know NFL talent at receiver, was able to do with Ohio State, I still have concerns about Ohio State secondary, especially if that front four isn't getting the kind of pressure that they've been getting all season because they weren't against Maryland. But moving it forward, I don't know what team is left on Ohio State's schedule that can do that. Like Michigan can't. If they get to the playoff, is like I feel like TCU might be the biggest matchup problem on a deep from an against an offensive standpoint for Ohio State than any other possible playoff contender out there right now, which to me kind of like I, I'm skeptical about this Buckeyes team because when I watch it, it doesn't seem as sharp as I feel like it should be, particularly offensively. But then I look at the numbers and it's like, oh, wait, they're still top five and everything. So maybe I just have too high of expectations. But it's I, I kind of have more confidence in Ohio State right now thinking like even after watching them not play their best game of the year going forward, just looking at the possible matchups in front of them. I, I, I have more confidence in them than I did, I think, last week. So what what can Michigan do against this Ohio State defense? Obviously, the Blake Corum is going to be evaluated more. He says, "I will be back." I mean, he's he's going to try to give it a go. Whether how effective can he be? Is he going to turn in an incredible performance? Is this not as big a deal as we thought? I don't think that we're going to get any of those answers until the game actually starts in the shoe on Saturday afternoon. So with the lessons that we've learned from Ohio State's defense, both in the game against Maryland and also to this point, how does that matchup look? You know, with, we, were critic, we were critical of J.J. McCarthy uh, in his performance against Illinois. We are looking at this Michigan offense, red zone issues, passing attack. Like, How does that Michigan offense against Ohio State defense line up uh, to y'all? Are they allowed to pick guys downfield? Ooh, just a question. I speak on behalf of Tom and Brett Bielema for that question. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Danny. I don't just because, as Brett said, we just got to work on learning how to stop that play in the future. <laughs> that was such a great line. Is it? I mean, we haven't had. Is it, I thought the pick play has become so prevalent that we're just not calling it as much anymore. It okay, is, well that, but you got to sell it as the receiver. At least fake yeah. that you're trying to run a route, and you can even fake it back. He was straight if you blocking. You run out there and block <laughs> the dude. It should be called like that's a fine. <laughs> it is a fine art form that every offense teaches. But that was about as blatant as a block that you could see. Like it didn't even try to fake it. Just want to point. I out. get the. Uh, I get why Brett Bielum is pissed off. I totally do because he's 100 percent right. It's not the Illini fan saying it, so just pointing that out. Because uh, Brian Kelly did it again in the Alabama uh, win through their two-point play. there A lot of people do it. They just sell it a little bit better. That's what I was thinking is that it, be- it has become so prevalent that you just can't – you're just not going to get enough flags there. I mean, it's like an eligible receiver downfield. Yeah, you know, it's just, like you you're not a thousand times and it relents. Yeah. Or You know, you, you, you did ask, though, like what can Michigan's offense do against Ohio State's defense? I think it's do the same thing they did last year, and they do to almost every opponent they play. They try to bully them. And whether Blake Corm's healthy or not, they're still going to try to do that. That's the one thing that Jim Harbaugh, I thought maybe he would deviate from that because he made the switch to uh, McCarthy. Like, oh, they're going to open up a little bit more. They want to get more dynamic at quarterback. Nope. They want a quarterback who can run it a little bit more, but they haven't. They're not going to try to get in a shootout. They're just going to try to line up and rip it down their throat. 
And I, I was, it's funny because I was gaining more confidence that Michigan could pull off the upset and then watching them struggle against Illinois. I'm like, maybe not, but I'm, I I still think it was a rough game for them. It was cold. Obviously it's going to be cold in Columbus too, but there were a lot of teams out there that struggled in this, you know, second to last game. Like I, I think it was one of those weekends where it's like, who really wants to be there? And I think Illinois, clearly, they were set on that game. They were fired up. And I think Michigan just wanted to kind of get through it. Let's get on to Ohio State. And I think you could tell on the field. Blake Corum. um, So Jim Harbaugh said after the game that the knee is, quote, structurally good. And on Sunday, Blake Corum, for the second straight year, according to the Detroit News, was out uh, donating Thanksgiving turkey meals. It's one of the things he does, you know, almost as like a – a spin With his NIL on, money, by the way. Yeah, it's a spin yeah. on the NIL money. It's called giving back to give thanks. Um, Corum was out there walking around, handing out the meals, and he told uh, the he told the media who was there, he, the Detroit News. He said, "It's good. My knee is good. I'll be fine. I'll be back." He did again return to the second half. I think he had one carry in the third quarter, but he was not on the field at the end of the game. So the um, Shout out to you, Blake Corum. We do hope you are at full health. You are a Heisman Trophy candidate, and this is one of the biggest games of the entire season, number two against Ohio, Ohio State against number three, Michigan. They do have other running backs that are talented. They don't have other Blake Corums. So okay. if you are going to use the bully approach, I think you got to have number two out there as close to 100% as possible. Yeah, that offensive line has to win the game. That's really what it's going to come down to. There's a couple dudes out there for Michigan uh, who didn't play in this game, and I kind of wonder if they'll be back, right? Like I, I think just kind of perusing, you know, the the, the Michigan mes- message boards. Shout out Sam Webb as always does a great job for us, Michigan twenty four seven. I I kind of wonder if Michigan kind of played with fire by holding some guys out in this game and almost almost got burned by it. Obviously, uh, I also wonder about Donovan Edwards if, if Corum can't go or, or Corum is not one hundred percent. Edwards didn't play in this game. He was out. So is he going to be out next week? Was he one of the guys that kind of held back? That's going to be really interesting because, you know, from a physicality run game standpoint, who has Ohio State played this year that, that scares you? Penn State can run it uh, and, and did some in that ball game. Uh, they played Iowa, which is just obviously pretty bad at everything on offense this year. They're not really physical in the run game either. Uh, Notre Dame, I guess. You know, Tried to run in the bunch on them. Um, it's a new challenge. Also, how healthy is CJ Stroud? Is he able to be moved off his spot? What's his mobility like? I mean, he was lepping a little bit last game. And uh, Matthew Jones, the right guard, or right guard or left guard for, for Ohio State. Uh, okay. He's kind of an important piece. I mean, we've talked about a lot this year how Ohio State doesn't necessarily have the best offensive line depth. Is he going to be healthy and good to go? Michigan's much better on the interior defensive line than I thought they were. So Scottson ran the ball well on them. Yeah, okay. There we go. They do you think that 92 Mi- yards, five and a half a carry. Do you think that Michigan's close call, and this is, I mean, it's kind of a pole assassin, but not really, but do you think that Michigan's close call, TCU had a close call as well, though in a very different scenario, do you think when the new college football playoff rankings are released, there will be a TCU ahead of Michigan? No. There should be. There won't be. They'll just the same like, reason they yeah. should have been last week before that game unfolded. Yeah. I just the think their resume. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of that, coming up on the other side, what about the other side of TCU's win? What went wrong for Baylor with the upset opportunity that went missing? And much more of our Upon Further Review and look at the rankings in Poll Assassin next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, a.k.a. your World Cup 2022 How to Watch, How to Stream, Live Soccer Scores and Results, USA Wales Preview Post Game Watch Party, World Cup 22, <laughs> World Cup 2022, USA Wales. Um, upon further review, uh, I reached out to my accountant. Uh, it's the end of the year. You're always trying to make sure you get everything. Uh, my three lock fight losses to Danny Cannell are charitable uh, donations. <laughs> I, I will be able to write those off on my taxes, and I'm excited about that. Danny has missed you Thank on you. Saturday night, so I at least... That. Yeah, I at least was glad I was able to drop by the Salvation Army. You were ringing the bell. You needed some lock wins. I was glad I was able to uh, to pro- provide those for you. Uh, but you mentioned before the show that you wanted to take a look at the Baylor side of the TCU Baylor result. What stood out to you about Dave Aranda and how they handled this game? Yeah, so I, I thought it was kind of interesting from a game management standpoint. Uh, down the stretch, Shapin missed a, a good number of throws for these guys, which allowed in my opinion, TCU to stay in the game because TCU started to, to take away the run uh, late and finally did so. Uh, but I think just situationally here, there's something to, to think about. And a, a couple of our listeners brought this up over DM or just on Twitter. And I don't – I forgot their names now. Sorry, it's it's been a morning. So TCU runs the field goal team out there with like 16 seconds left. And we've seen this a lot this year, specifically in the Big 12. I think it was the Oklahoma State TC or Texas Tech game maybe – or maybe it's the Oklahoma State TCU game where TCU subbed and then Oklahoma State did the like real delayed sub, right? Uh, and I mean, TCU got this field goal off with very few seconds on the clock. I wonder if coaches will take a look at this and say, hey, uh, clock running, because Baylor chose to run the ball, or excuse me, TCU chose to run the ball twice here mm-hmm. uh, to set up a 43 yard field goal. And they ran the field goal team out with like 16 seconds and they, you know, snap and kick it. 
if Baylor takes the uh, the opportunity to sort of slow sub that thing, I think the clock runs out and we don't have undefeated TCU anymore. Like it would have been a masterclass, like like chess piece move. Uh, don't to, the to officials to have to stop it or no? No, they like, isn't hold that it. where they, they stand over the ball and they say they do, but they don't the stop clock the clock. Still runs. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, you could have you could have slow play, like slow played this thing potentially if if you. I mean, it's asking a lot. I'm not saying that that's Dave like Aranda, Bill Belichick level. Yeah, like I'm not saying yeah. Dave Aranda messed that up, but I do think it's kind of something to where, like, in the future, do you have a guy in the booth who's saying like, you know, hey, hey, remember, if they try, if they're trying to kick a field goal with no timeouts, we need to slow play the, the sub. Uh, maybe we can get the thing to run out. For for the sake of entertainment, if there's a rule in play that could take that away, that ending. Change we need world. to look at yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> which you know what would be really remarkable tom if we actually got in front of that mm-hmm. as opposed to no 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 we can react to when it happens right right it'll, the, it's uh, going to ruin somebody's season because they don't get a kickoff and then we'll change the rule oh, as opposed to getting out in front of it other people in the chat are saying that uh the people that told me about this are actually wrong that you can't uh, slow play the sub on kicks on kicks, so like you can in do the end of, the, end of game well, situation. Special teams, you would. Good. I mean, okay. that's a unique play. By the way, if you guys haven't heard it yet, go listen to Brian Estridge, the play-by-play guy for TCU. Because I don't know about you guys, I'm watching that moment, freaking out. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, dude, you got to hurry! Like what? And if you listen to Estridge, he's like, "Okay, everybody, calm down, take your time, plenty of time, get set." All right, the kick is up, and like he nails it exactly like you should. But that to me, everybody practices this play, right? Everybody practices every Thursday practice. You're doing your two minute drill. You have this fire. Sonny Dyke said they call it bazooka field goal. You go through these drills. I've never seen it pulled off that effortlessly, where everybody's there. And one of the hardest things to get is everybody that's on that field goal unit to be ready for it. Like a lot of times there might be a defensive lineman that's on the, you know, as an up back, there's some backup, you know, that's a, uh, you know, who knows, like your right guard might be hurt. So you got to make sure everybody's ready to fire on the field in that situation. That to me, was a phenomenal bit of coaching and execution. And I think it helped them because member Kale had, had missed the extra point. Mm-hmm. There's something about just like, why do we ice the kicker? We make him think about it, right? We want to make him think about it. He didn't have time to think about it. He's just thinking, all right, I got to get out there. We got to get this thing going. Nope, there's the ball. I got to kick it. And he drilled it. It was phenomenal to watch that unfold. Sonny Dyke's post game, too, was just so chill. He's like, nah. Yeah, he's not nervous. We, we, Him we and Estridge with must be drinking buddies or something. <laughs> no, I was, I was going to say that sounds like a play-by-play that's at practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. those guys do, as we know from Wakey Leaks, sometimes those radio guys <laughs> do more than, uh, than do. anybody else. And I, he probably has been there at practice, you know, watching them go through this. And that's why he's able to sit there trying to help all these TCU fans listening on the radio, losing their minds about the uh, the end of clock. By the way, of uh, from the AP Top 25, six of the top 13 teams in the country have a first-year coach. Sonny wow. Dykes, in that moment, I was like, oh, man, this is, that was incredible coach. I was right there with the incredible coaching. I was like, so who who wins coach of the year? Right, right, right now, who who do you think is – where's the national coach of the year? Convert? There, By the way, there is no uniformity. There are daggum seven 
National Coach of the Year awards out there. So, I mean, it's it's even worse than trying to decide a national champion back in pre-World War II times. But who are the coaches who you think will be in the running for those awards? Sonny Lincoln and Brian Kelly. And Sonny Dyke should win it. Mm-hmm. Jim Mora. Jim Mora, yeah, he should have it. But He'll to me, votes, Sonny Dyke, he won't it. win it. Sonny Dyke should win it. He Last I checked, he didn't bring – you know, one of the best quarterbacks with him, one of the best receivers with him. He didn't inherit a program that has talent all over the field. He max like that to me is what we have to look at. Who did more with less? And I thought he did more. He's done more with a lot less than those two, you know, the other coaches at the top as far as Kelly and Lincoln Riley. But, but unfortunately, don't you think it'll come down? Like if he loses the Big 12 championship game, gets left out of the playoff, Lincoln wins then it'll probably go to Lincoln. If Brian Kelly somehow managed to beat Georgia, he'd probably win it. It's probably going to be a recency, you know, bias who had the best season type of award. The teams that had the most and also highest profile uh, transfer wave are USC, LSU, and Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. That's like sort of like a cut above what we saw from anybody else. Sonny Dykes walked in, and he he did. He brought some key transfers in, including an offensive lineman from uh, SMU that has really helped with this offense. But he took a group that was kind of checked out on the previous regime, and he has inspired them all to get on the same page, so much so that they are ready for that insane end-of-game scenario. I, I think if there's anything we can learn from what USC and LSU did is that if you have a job opening, just steal a sitting head coach from an elite program. Yeah. That easy. I, mm-hmm. I think um so I kind of wonder typically in these coach of the year awards they don't give you credit for recruiting which is a big part of the job. Uh so and so, so I feel like they actually discredit you sometimes like oh well he has good players they're supposed to win. And yes, that's part of the job is getting good players. It's actually probably the most important part of the job that you do because there's no GM at most of these programs. But I do think voting wise they might hold Caleb against Lincoln a little bit, whereas the I don't think Brian Kelly will get dinged for the transfer class he brought in because Jaden Daniels is not a star, right? He's just like like an okay quarterback for in, in most games. Um, but these correlate fairly well to fun narrative, fun team, coaching decisions made in games, and then also how much are you exceeding your preseason expected win total? Assuming that like the media kind of has a general feel, like TCU was sort of expected to win six or seven games, right? they're going to win 11 or 12 in the regular season. USC was expected to do this. They were the preseason favorite for the Pac-12. They had a win total of nine and a half. So it, it, it I would be surprised if Lincoln Riley gets this for exceeding expectations by like a game and a half. You know what I'm saying? Clark Lee, coach of the year then, over by October. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's Elko a bunch. Duke, there's, by the way. I wish they did some other – award and maybe one of these but like clark lee lance leipold who people forgot about i mean that's mm-hmm. there's still some amazing mora like i don't know what you would call it but there have been some outstanding coaching you know jobs done at universities that have done more with less like maybe that's the name of the award but, yeah I think he'd absolutely be in that conversation so i always think it's interesting since 2001 he finished his career uh in the final four this past season in 2022 from 2001 to 2022, do you know how many times Mike Shashevsky was named the ACC Coach of the Year? None. Zero. Yeah. See? And wow. history will prove the voters correct. 
<laughs> the <laughs> Did you know when, it, when he went thir- he went thirteen and zero and uh, had the highest scoring team of all time in college football? Did he win it that year? Because I so I bring up Shashevsky. I think there's a Kirby Smart argument. He lost fourteen defensive yeah. players to the NFL draft. Yeah, and you have the, one of the best defenses in the country again. And he I, lost I, his defensive coordinator too. Mm-hmm. I I think there is a hundred percent an argument there. Uh, he was Jimbo was the AFCA regional coach of the year in 2013, and the Rawlings football coach of the year. You actually just get a football from the Rawlings, I guess. But no. Trophy. He was. He did, did not. Did Malzahn win it? Ah, uh, I'm that guessing. I would probably. They were be. terrible the year prior. Um. What what sort of uh, no matter we'll save that for Wednesday. There are probably some some win totals that are that are left on the board there. Okay, uh, the the poll assassin obviously since college football playoff rankings started being released doesn't doesn't have the same pizzazz right. We're all waiting to see what the selection committee does. And of course, on Tuesday night after the full one through twenty five is released, we will be here at youtube.com slash cover three. Uh, with our rankings reaction show live. Make sure that you come and hang out. Also, speaking of youtube.com slash cover three, if you are among the many who are currently hanging out and watching along with us, why don't you do us a favor and why don't you smash that like? Because if we can get the likes up above 150, it shouldn't be that hard given how many we have already and how many people are watching live if you can get it up above 150, then we will give out three 30-day Paramount Plus premium trials. So if you're watching live, smash that like button right now. We get it above 150. We will give out three codes that will get you a Paramount Plus premium plan 30-day free trial. So when we take a look at the uh, the new college football playoff, the AP top 25, and the new coaches poll. Georgia still an overwhelming first place with 62 first place votes in the AP poll, one first place vote for Ohio State. In the coaches poll, Michigan still catching two first place votes. That is more than Ohio State, which has one Georgia with 59. In terms of big movement, Tennessee does not fall out of the top 10. They fall down four spots to number nine. That is behind an Alabama team that it beat, uh, but still not far. Alabama checking in at number eight. Utah drops four spots to number 14. North Carolina falls to number 18. Uh, Ole Miss falls to number 20, down six spots. UCF not all the way out of the top 25. They remain at number 25. Not a whole lot of major moves up. Notre Dame. Jumps up five spots to number 13. Uh, Kansas State, Florida State kind of seem like they just moved up within the shuffling through the middle of the rankings, at least in the AP Top 25. What stands out from the new college football rankings on Sunday? I mean, you touched on it a little bit. This is one of those instances where it's, it's, it's not like you're mad at anybody. It's just funny in that LSU, Alabama, and Tennessee are all 9-2. and two. Tennessee beat both LSU and Alabama. Tennessee is ranked behind both LSU and Alabama because the argument will be LSU's resume is better because it beat Alabama, even though Tennessee also beat Alabama and beat LSU. 
but it didn't lose to South Carolina. So it's just, it's one of those funny things where this is where recency bias really comes into play in these polls because it's like, okay, they all have the same record. Tennessee's beaten two of them and it's ranked behind both. I thought it was interesting that you had a vote for uh, Ohio State to be number one. There was one, I think it was Steve Batterson, is his name, was willing to go outside the box. I actually let me go the other way and say I wish there were more. More Ohio State votes? Or potentially another team, anybody. Maybe it's Michigan. Maybe it's TCU. Maybe it's one of the undefeateds. That's why I put out the tweet that I did, and you guys responded to it, about what's the best conference in college football. Like, Georgia has this stranglehold on number one, except for my man Batterson. But what's their second best win? It would be Tennessee, right? Like other and who just lost to South Carolina. So that was diminished somewhat. Are you with me on that one? Chip, so, I look you look. So Oregon's the best win, Tennessee's the second best win. Correct. So that but I, but their second best win just got diminished and Ohio State's Ohio, Penn State just blew out their last couple opponents. You know, they've been looking stronger. So like if you were looking at this like from a bigger picture and then, so like, I didn't have a problem with Ohio State be- receiving a number one vote. I was kind of like, man, if you if you really looked at this and tore up your votes from previous weeks and you put it back in, Georgia wasn't spectacular against Kentucky, who's not very good. Like they won. That's all that matters. I'm not saying this should be out of the playoff, but then if you look at which conferences, Tom, you said you've been most entertained by the Pac-12 and Big 12. I think those have been the toughest gauntlet because the mm-hmm. SEC has always loved to use that term from start to finish. So if you're undefeated or even one loss like USC, but if you're undefeated like TCU through a pretty big gauntlet for the last six or seven weeks and remain undefeated, I wouldn't have a problem if you had them number one either. But we don't look at things that way. We kind of, it's like that structure. Well, Georgia won, boom, move them on. Ohio State won. Like I wish there was more openness to every single week starting it over again. I can rock with that. I, I think I've moved Ohio State out of number one based on some of the inconsistencies. And again, like Tom said, we're maybe holding Ohio State to an unfair standard and judging them poorly. Like, like not them not living up to the video game standard might not be a, an issue with Ohio State because we're supposed to compare Ohio State to the rest of the teams in the country. That's what happens when we're ranking them, the teams who they are right now, not the team that you imagine they could be. So I can, I can rock with it if there were more first place votes for Ohio state, but I think Georgia still holds number one on my ballot for the CBS sports One Thirty One. And they did like for mine, I still had them at number one too. I just wish there were more people that were almost willing to think outside the box. And cause I don't want to open up a can of worms again, but I did see something about the playoff expansion when, you know, somebody like, shoot, we can hardly get four teams that are worthy or deserving of a spot. Well, what makes Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan more worthy they than other teams? Lost. They haven't lost. USC has. So we're only going to go, what if they do lose? Then they're out? No, then the top four teams get in. Oh goodness, here we go. I, mean, I don't know I don't know what point you're trying to make with that. Like, I, here's Well, who's worthy right now? So, like, they're too worthy? Are there, are there four that are worthy right now? We yes. don't know who they are. Yeah, there are. There are four undefeated teams remaining. But how many one-loss teams and undefeated teams are remaining? Why do we need 12? Like, for instance, why does a two-loss Alabama team whose best win is either eight and three Ole Miss, a team maybe they shouldn't be in the top 12? 
this is my point. His best win is either an eight and three Ole Miss, a team we've been talking about being overrated all season long, or a seven and four Texas. Why the hell do we discuss that team that's not even going to win its own division as a possible playoff team? Why would we want that? It hasn't beaten anybody good that it's played, and it hasn't won its own division. But if it was a 12-team playoff, guess who'd be in? Alabama. Wow. That's what we need. Who would coach Alabama? Because Nick would opt out, right? <laughs> Nick, yeah, y'all expand the playoff, and you're, you're going you're gonna to see players opt out. You're going to see Nick Saban opt out of a college football playoff game. It's getting in the way of recruiting for the next class. Come on now. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would see more Bryce Young. I'll sign up for more Bryce Young. Watch him in the bowl game. In the orange, if they're bowl, not that good. If they're overrated, they would lose. Somebody would beat them, and they did twice they, to the so better teams. Put, yeah. I, I think Utah should have dropped more after, after watching that game. Looking how bad they agree, looked, like yes. Oregon looked poor. Like they did not look like a good team. Utah just just looked terrible, and and, and Oregon beat them by three at home with an injured QB. I mean, I also, if you look at, at Utah's, uh, their other losses, I mean, they've like, UC, they lost UCLA, UCLA got beat. They beat USC, USC obviously won. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a, a net even, but uh, you know, they lost to Florida and Florida lost to Vandy. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm a little surprised Utah stayed in the top 15 in the AP. Uh, I, I thought they should have been more down there. Uh, and I'm surprised that, that old miss didn't get booted out a little bit. I mean, I, I know they were, but I mean, just, this could be because like Kiffin's leaving for Auburn type thing, you know. Like I, if if he is, excuse me, if he's leaving for Auburn, maybe the players know that and they're checked out and they're thinking about where they're going to transfer to, or who the next coach is going to be. But like that team did not look focused at all on Saturday, and, and uh, their wins this year are not all that great. Although actually their resume got a little better over the weekend because they did beat uh, they beat Troy, who won again. They beat Georgia Tech. Who beat North Carolina? Shrubbed Georgia Tech, but that was yeah. pre, that was Jeff Collins Georgia Tech. Correct. They were playing a little different. Little, little different unhappy Georgia Yeah, I you're 100 right on Utah though, because like I, you know what happened there? Voters woke up and saw the score. Mm. They didn't watch the game, and so that that USC win is huge. Don't get me wrong, but it's giving them way too much. Uh, credit in the eyes of some voters because they should not be ranked ahead of Kansas State, Florida State, UCLA, North Carolina. Mm. What about um, so the Egg Bowl is coming up? Are you concerned about Ole Miss's motivation? Is that so? Because they've lost three of their last four games, and their yeah. one win is by three points to Texas A and M, which I believe has lost six conference games in a row. Does that sound right? I mean, I know we celebrate that win against UMass, but we still haven't had 30 points. And that Ole Miss team, if you take, again, just the last four games, three losses, and only one win by three points against Texas A&M, what's the expectation for where this Ole Miss team is heading into Thursday night's rivalry game against Mississippi State? Where's quarterback from? Where is Jackson Dart? Yeah, he's from Utah, played at USC, and then he transferred in. Where, where, where's the running back from? Texas. You know, we talk about this a rivalry game. These kids didn't grow up in the rivalry as like high school kids and grow up in that state, but they also haven't grown up in the rivalry in the program. I mean, a lot of a lot of old Mrs. starters are new in transfers. So how much does that rivalry really mean to them when your team is is that transfer heavy? I mean, it would be know. an incredible test of Lane Kiffin, this staff, and the motivation that there is all across the board 
to your point, I think from the game notes, it's like 44 scholarship players are new between the freshman class and the transfer class. Haven't even been, this will be their very first Egg Bowl. On the Mississippi State side of things, I would imagine we have a little bit more Mississippi representation. Yeah, I think Mississippi State is, more, is a more homegrown team. And again, guys, I don't know if this matters or not. It, it, uh, it might not. And Mississippi State's offense hasn't looked right for about a month. So they could just lay an, another egg in the egg bowl. I, I, that was not intentional. I'm just kind of out of it today. I, I mean, Old Miss like did not want to be there against Arkansas. Do they show up against Mississippi State? I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I kind of think it does matter. I think you're onto something. <laughs> I, it's Mississippi State, you know, seven and four did not have, you know, at no point was it competing for the SEC? Was it competing for a playoff spot? And Ole Miss, like you said, they were competing for the West. They consider themselves an SEC contender. They consider themselves a playoff contender. They've lost three of four. They have a roster that is not made up of anybody who grew up in this rivalry. I have a feeling that it's the Egg Bowl. So it's like trying to predict what's going to happen is probably a fool's errand. But I do think Mississippi State, like I would take Mississippi State first half based off of those vibes alone. Mm. Speaking of uh, our picks for the Egg Bowl and for all of Rivalry Week, we're going to be doing a little bit of an adjusted schedule. We will be given our locks for Week 13 on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So again, Make sure you adjust your calendar. Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we will be getting together live to do our locks for Week 13 that will include that rivalry game, Mississippi State and Ole Miss on Thursday. Uh, also, on yeah, that's the only game on Thursday. Friday's action is pretty busy. Uh, you've got Tulane and Cincinnati, Baylor, Texas, a couple more MAC games, uh, North Carolina, NC State, the Territorial Cup, Arizona, Arizona State, Arkansas, Missouri on CBS. Iowa goes for the Big Ten West against Nebraska, Florida, and Florida State in primetime. Then Saturday, uh, as usual, a full slate. Also, uh, on the housekeeping side of things, this Saturday, before the Iron Bowl, at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be doing another Hangout pre-game watch party uh, that will be broadcast across all of the CBS Sports social channels. We will have more details for you on that. Special guests, remember last time we had Matt Corral joining us from Lane Kiffin's office telling us how Alabama played defense against him when he was at Ole Miss, uh, giving us some fun details about Kiffin and the Ole Miss program. So special guests in our Iron Bowl pregame uh, hangout. So be sure to keep your eyes out for that. Again, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we are going to be going with our Week 13 locks. And then on Saturday in the afternoon before the Iron Bowl, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have a little bit of a, a hangout watch party on Twitter, on YouTube, and the like. And because it is the holiday season, because we're handing out turkeys left and right, I'm, I'm not even going to hit refresh to see what the updated numbers are. we got a flurry of likes. I'm going to say that y'all did a, a good job for us. So put your Twitter handle in the chat. Uh, Producer Jordan will get in touch with you. Make sure you are following the Cover 3 podcast on Twitter so that you can go ahead and uh, you know go back and forth uh, with us to get your code for the Paramount Plus 30-day premium subscription trial. Go ahead and drop your Twitter handle in the chat. We will be in touch with three lucky winners of that trial. 
And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pennelly. You can follow him at BudElliot3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all.